Hello, and welcome to another Book on the Shelf podcast. I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. We started a book club, but we never talked about the books, so we decided to start a podcast to talk about all the books. So our book club was about trying new books, new genres, and getting out of our comfort zones of reading. Uh, we wanted to be exposed to new stuff, which would kind of be like research that we could apply to our own writings as we are both writers. In today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about one of our book club books. It was the third book on our book club this year, and it is Everything is Horrible and Wonderful by Stephanie Whittle-Walks, and it was Jet's pick. Um, so this is a kind of memoir slash biography, a little hints of biography, but I would yeah. say more of, of a memoir because it's from her perspective. Um, I saw Stephanie on Late Night with Seth Meyers talking about the book. Uh, I had not heard of her. I had not really heard of her brother Harris, who the book is about, but it just sounded really interesting to me in a super kind of heartbreaking, mm -hmm. dying of an overdose kind of way. <laughs> so Stephanie is a writer. She's also a mother and a theater artist. Uh, she went to NYU's Tisch School. Uh, she co-founded The Rec Room uh, in Houston. It is a non-for-profit arts organization committed to developing innovative work for all kinds of different disciplines. Uh, she also has a podcast, and she lives in Houston with her family. Yeah, so she wrote this, as you were saying, this book about her brother after he died of a heroin overdose. Um, so a little bit about her brother, Harris. Um, he was a American comedian, actor, writer, producer, and musician. He was a writer for the Sarah Silverman program, uh, a writer and executive producer for Parks and Recreation, which is probably, uh, I think, what people would recognize best as being his work. Which is why I think yeah. I didn't know him, because yeah, I didn't because, watch that show. Yeah. Well, and I, I did, actually. And I think he, it was said in the book, he had a couple, like, cameo appearances yeah. in the show. I really wanted to go back and watch some of the episodes just to see him in it, but I, I haven't gotten around to doing that. I love Parks and Rec. It's one of my favorite shows and, like, a fully rewatchable show. Oh, good to know. Uh, yeah, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, and then I didn't realize that he had also developed... Master of None with Aziz Ansari and was actually supposed to be in that show yeah. as one of the main actors, uh, but unfortunately died before that yeah. before that happened. Um, but he was also a recurring guest on Comedy Bang Bang podcast. That's a podcast? Yeah. Um, oh, yes. And he's credited with coining <laughs> the word the humble brag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure people will recognize that word humble brag, but it was, yeah, it was his word. Yeah, he also wrote for Grantland, which we talked about, I think, in our last episode a bit. Yeah, and our favorite authors, because... Yeah. Because Chuck most, Fosterman. Yes, yeah. he used to write for Grantland, yeah. and most of the Grantland crew is now on, the, on the Ringer. Yeah. Which, every day I become more and more obsessed with, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the good podcasts. There's They're a lot so good. of really good podcasts. Um, I definitely listened to, like, four of them today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Harris was... Uh, really into the band Fish, which was so random. So like, random. It's one of those ones where, like, I've heard of Fish, but I could not tell you a thing about them. Neither could I. <laughs> I've never, I couldn't, I don't know a song, I don't know nothing. But I can but, like, weirdly picture the Fish logo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically, you know, as a teenager, he started to do drugs and just kind of took over from there. Yeah. But eventually he died in 2015 of the heroin overdose. Yeah. Did he... He started on prescription. There was definitely drugs. some oxy for yeah, a while. Right? He there 
he had there was he broke up with someone and oh, that's right. Yeah. And it kind of all just like went downhill from there. But yeah, so the book is written obviously from his sister, like Stephanie's mm-hmm. perspective. And it cuts back and forth between I think it's the year leading up to his death and, and then the, the year, year after. leading after, yeah, because yeah. she was getting married that year. Yes. Before and then after right. she had she baby. found because she found out that oh so maybe it's more than a year before he died. True, yeah, because right, it was like the day before her wedding when she found out that he was that he w- that he was, was like an addict, to, yeah, was gonna go to rehab and stuff like yeah. that. But then he knew the the baby, so yeah, there's a little bit more time in there. Yeah, it's super sad. It is, <laughs> but I I thought the way that it jumped back and forth between those two periods was really effective. And I really, really liked uh, the year after his death is written all in second person as though she's talking to him. Yeah. Which I thought was really well done. Like, a second person is really hard to pull off, first of all. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's so, it has such a really good effect. And I mean, she probably wasn't even doing it for any kind of mm-hmm. writerly it was effect. Just I think it was just like she felt the need to, yeah, yeah. To, address, to address her brother. But it worked really, really well, and it just kind of made it all the sadder, I think. Yeah. Because, yeah, this was supposed to be our May-June book club book, and I think we both had it finished within the first week of May. Yeah. It didn't take me very long to read it at all. (laughs) Because, like, I I just didn't want to put it down. No, me neither. It was horribly sad. Like, I was definitely just, like, in bed crying. But, like, you just want to keep going because you just, you feel like you're right there with Mm -hmm. her. Well, I remember when I was starting it, I was, I was like, I'm going to start this book on the way to work on my subway commute. And then I'm like, most of the way to work and almost crying on the subway because even in the first like five pages, yeah. she just breaks your heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for those who also kind of don't really know much about Harris and just like, I didn't realize like he just, he was that like personality. He was... Mm-hmm. That one who, like, when they walked into the room, he was so big. There was this little bit, or this quote, and he said, The Harris made the rest of us look bad. He was the funniest. He was the coolest. He had the most creative, inventive, limitless mind that was perpetually working. He was never fully present in any single moment, but always functioning on multiple levels. Always thinking and revising. Always surveying the room for new material. Always typing a new joke in his, in his iPhone or finger-pecking furiously away at his laptop. He was a true and tremendous talent who accomplished more in 30 years than most people accomplish in a lifetime. And just as, I guess, like, as a creative person and someone who perhaps has attention issues, like, I really relate to that. Like, I always feel, I mean, not that I'm absolutely not the funniest or the coolest or the most creative (laughs) in any way, (laughs) but just in that, like, not fully... In the way your attention's kind of split yeah, into, like, I'm like not, 50 like, different places at a time. Fully present. I am always trying, like, you always I see me that. when I'm putting yeah. my notes in my phone for the different things. So that part I really understood. But then just to see how, even though he had, you know, he had a career, he had lots yeah. of really great relationships, yeah. but it just, you know, and his family was always there. His Yeah. It just kind of always never stood up to the drugs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I got the sense, too, that he had underlying mental health issues that never were really properly addressed. Yeah, but, like, and in a way that, like... But in, yeah, no, in a way that wouldn't really be obvious to anybody. No. Because, yeah, like, even growing up, like, they just... No, They were, like, the brother-sister duo, and they would do the things, and it just kind of... No, absolutely. 
But it made me, it was, it, the only reason I was thinking that is because I, when I went to see um, Beautiful Boy, which was also heartbreaking and sad, although he is still alive, so yeah. there's that, and he has been yeah. sober for quite a while now. Yeah. Uh, but when I was reading the afterword to the book in Indigo one day, it was saying that after... I can't remember what relapse it would have been after he'd been sober for a while. They he, they took him to, like, a psychologist, and the psychologist was like, have they ever done, like, any kind of psychological assessment? And they were like, no. And she was like, why not? And then it turned out that he had bipolar disorder that had just yeah. never been diagnosed. Well, yeah, because every time that yeah. Harris was going to rehab, it was very, it seemed very Hollywood, I can't even remember, like, the names of those places. Yeah. That you would see, like, in the commercials. Yes. Like, was like the guy talking and yeah, you know, it's kind of two transitions, but yeah, it was just like, like really one of those like, kind of like sleek and yeah, like Hollywood. Yeah. You pay them all kinds of money and they just like detox you and that's it. Like yeah, they don't necessarily much. like yeah. do anything for you. And obviously, and so another part of the story is Stephanie's daughter is hearing impaired. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So while she's, you know, trying to before Harris dies, while she's trying to. Mm-hmm deal with that. She's also dealing, you know, it's the first year of her, first-ish year of her marriage. Yeah. They have a kid who has these problems that, like, they can't figure out just yet. Yeah, because it takes them a while to figure that out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then after he dies, and also just trying to be a mom, but also be a severely grieving sister, like, they were kind of best friends, like, growing up, like, they were always, it seemed like they were just kind of always together, even though she was a little bit older, and just navigating that, which is, to me, was crazy. Because, yeah, like, all the time yeah. she would talk about how her husband just seems like a solid dude. He was just, totally. like, all, like, totally understood. And, like, you know, when she needed to just lay in her bed and cry, mm-hmm. he could. But then, yeah, just try like, it just seems so hard on her because it was just, like, at the exact well, and wrong she, time. Well, she found out at one of the appointments that her daughter had... That she had with her daughter at the hearing specialist, mm-hmm. or... Yeah, that's when she found out that yeah. he died. And yeah, so, and, like, the way she... Ugh. She doesn't sugarcoat anything, so, like, no. she tells you about how she's in, you know, the doctor's office, like, on the floor... Yeah. ...bawling her face off, yeah. and just... It's so real, and you can just... The way everything's described is you're just right there with her. Yeah. It's super raw, is what I would probably... Is the word I would use to describe it. Excellent word. Yes. <laughs> In the best way. Like, it's just, like, it's very... Her grief is just so visceral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of... Yeah. That's how it That's how it always is, is that it was not just, like, something in her head. It was physical. Mm-hmm. And to see it kind of manifested in those different ways when she's trying to, you know, yeah. do stuff around the house. But then also sort of, like, coming through the fact that her daughter has this hearing issue and, like, they're kind of parallel, but obviously, like, very different, but just... And, yeah, because, like, then, like, her parents didn't... I mean, obviously, didn't handle it very well and just... Right. Oh, yeah, like, I I went back and sort of flipping through before we were doing this episode, um, and I just, like, sort of briefly reading through the beginning of it again when she finds out, and then she's talking to the person on the phone and they're saying, you know, we couldn't get a hold of your mother. And she realizes that the worst moment is actually going to be when she has to, to tell, tell her, her mother yeah. is going to be an even worse moment than her finding out herself. And I was just like, ugh, it's just, it's so, it's so hard to read sometimes, but also at the same time, I couldn't put it down. 
Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which sounds weird, but that's... Well, yeah, because, like, and kind of perfectly, it's sort of like, subtitle is a tragic comic memoir of genius, mm-hmm. heroine, love, and loss. Because it has funny moments, for sure. And even, like, some of the sad moments are funny, because yeah. she's kind of trying to find those moments, or knowing that Harris would find those moments funny. Right. Which, obviously, but then makes it even more heartbreaking, but... yeah. <laughs> It's so sad. (laughs) But what I also really liked about it, too, is that you can tell um, in the moments that, like, she's angry with him. Very. Very angry. And she doesn't sugarcoat that at all as well, which I thought was really, really kind of a brave thing to do. Yeah. To put it all out there for everybody else to see. Yeah, because at this point, most people are going to see that he was famous and, like, okay, fine, whatever, but, like... She gives you everything. You see the moments where she absolutely loves him and still just, like, mm-hmm. cannot fathom life without him, but then also is just so pissed that he has this addiction, which she should be, and which is something I understand, because I know people that have addictions, and, like, it's... Yeah. Because they don't understand what it does to everyone else's life, because yeah. they're not even realizing what it's doing to their own. Right. So I definitely, like, I understood her anger. Yeah. But yeah, to actually... Well, yeah, and like she was saying, too, like, when she finds out that he is an addict when she's getting married, and she's like, what the hell? Like, who who drops that bomb on somebody yeah. right before they're getting married? Like... And it was... And it seemed kind of in, like, a relaxed way, too. It yeah. wasn't, like, that something specific had happened. Like, he just yeah. told her. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I thought that was... She just captures sort of the complexity of her relationship with him, like, their relationship and the way that she loves him and misses him but is also angry with him. So well written. I had taken that one writing class that was ended up being, like, a nonfiction kind of essay writing right. class or whatever. I mean, I would love to get here to, like, the point where she's at. I mean, not that I feel I really have anything... Quite as, as, as traumatic. Traumatic or, like worth sharing or that I need to work through or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my head, it's like, okay, yeah, I want to write pop culture essays like Chuck Klosterman, <laughs> but I'd love to be able to write life memoir type stories like Stephanie Whittle's Walks, yeah. but I'm glad that I don't have something like that to write about. Obviously. But is there a way for me to take, you know, my regu- regular, sorry, <laughs> stories, but still kind of portray that, get that point across of just really being in her head. Like, I feel... It's not that this was, like, something that she had written. I feel like this is her inner monologue. Yes. Which is why I think I really liked it, because mm-hmm. the good moments, the bad moments, the funny moments, whatever, like, that's all the stuff that's in your head. Yeah. But that you're not necessarily saying to anyone else. Yes. Which is why I thought the whole... The way that she wrote it, as though she's addressing her brother, was so effective. And Because I feel like I think that way. Yeah. You know, like, I may not necessarily tell someone something, but, like, in my head, I... I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a part in the book, too, where she's saying that, like, she'll still text him things sometimes or email him things sometimes, even though yeah, like, he's not around anymore just because she doesn't know how not to. Yeah. Which is awful. I know. It makes you start thinking about, like, who that person would be, kind of, like, for you. Or, like... Yeah. I mean, not that I have siblings, but just, like, that kind of... Yeah, so, I think my, my sister read this, and I think afterwards she said to me, you're never allowed to die. You're not allowed to die before I do. <laughs> and I was like, same. 
<laughs> so we just have to die at the same time. <laughs> it was so good. It was really good. It was definitely, yeah, it's just nice to see, like, how she was dealing with her grief. Obviously, it was, like, part of her healing process, I think, too. Oh, absolutely. There's one other quote that I wanted to share, mm-hmm. and it's very simple, but it just... For me, not having any idea about Harris whatsoever before reading this book, this quote was like, oh, I get it now. Mm -hmm. And she said, because despite outward appearances, his pilot light was off. And I don't know if it's just because I understand what a pilot light is, (laughs) but that just kind of wrapped everything up into one. Like, that's, that's probably how a lot of people with different addictions, that's what it is, right? Like, they seem like they're functioning perfectly well. Like, he was... On these shows, like, yeah. he was writing, he was working, he was, and, like, working a lot. Yeah, he but was working a lot. On the inside, there was nothing. They were, like, yeah. had to fill that void with stuff, so. I really like that quote. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I also went searching for quotes. Hmm. Uh, one that I found, that actually, when you said that when she's describing her grief, it's very physical. I did actually think of this quote, which uh, she says, I carry the most painful memories inside my muscles and bones. Oof. Right? I just thought that was so, like, it's good. Yeah, that really... Yeah, like, <laughs> just, it's so succinctly kind of <laughs> really gets at the heart of what her grief feels like for her. And the way that it's sort of become a part of her. Yeah. Right? It was just so good. It really was. So, Jen, would you recommend this book? <laughs> yes. Now that we've talked about how it made us cry? Okay. Yes, I, like I said, my sister read it, and it was after I read it, and I did recommend it to her. So, yes, of course, I would recommend it, but with the caveat that it's very sad, and it's a hard book to read, and I think depending on your, on whether or not you think this is a thing that's gonna, <laughs> that you're gonna enjoy reading, even though it's really tragic and sad, or if it's just, like, not, if you're just not on that level. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah. I would absolutely, absolutely recommend it as well. I feel like, at least I know some people that, like, they don't like memoirs and they don't like whatever. But for me, like, that's weird. Because I was talking to someone and I was explaining about this book. And they were just like, oh, yeah, like, I don't really like memoirs. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I also find that weird. So, I mean, like, for someone like that, maybe not. Because it is so strong and just kind of awful, obviously. But if you're remotely okay with memoirs... I absolutely would. Like, it just... I mean, I'm also one of those people that, you know, when I'm sad, I like to read sad books. Yeah, me too. Which seems counteractive. It does, but it's, it helps somehow, I, know. I find. I don't know. It's weird. That's why I've read Grey by Pete Wentz so many times. <laughs> <laughs> because despite my love of Fall Out Boy, he, Pete Wentz also wrote a book. But it's just, like, the most emo, exactly, like... Amazing. It's fiction, but it's clearly, like, the entire time you're just like, oh, this is about Pete Wentz and he's right. in a band and he... Right. All these little, like, bits and pieces about, like, his anxiety and depression. It's like, this is clearly just Pete Wentz. And it's super sad and it's like this book. It makes me cry. <laughs> but that's when I know... I feel like this could now could, like, go in the pile with that book of, like, when I'm super emo and sad, like, I'm going to read some of this book and enjoy it and... Well, which sounds awful, but... I know. It sounds, I don't know. It sounds it's weird just, to say that you enjoy a book that is about something so... Yeah. Tragic. But, but that's also how I feel about the bell jar. Like, mm, I've also read the bell jar when I was like really <laughs> sad, which again is fiction, but is clearly also Sylvia Plath's 
experience with her own depression and whatever. So, like, that's also coming from a very real place. And you're like, oh, yeah. But anyway, very good. And, yeah, so that was Everything is Horrible and Wonderful by Mm -hmm. Stephanie Whittles-Walks. Yes. It was one of our book club books, so. And definitely one of my top books of 2018. Absolutely. Yeah. Which we will also be talking about in our next episode. Yes, we will. Which is going to be our 2018 wrap-up. Yes. And you can catch that next week. Thanks again for listening to Another Book on the Shelf podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Another Book Pod and on Instagram at Another Book Podcast for updates, what we're reading so you can join along, and more book-related awesomeness.